he's a good advertisement for direct action kind of vigilante justice in as much as like I mean all around the world the people who are supposed to be making the world safe or protecting things the majority of them aren't doing the job that they're supposed to be doing for a variety of reasons. Hello you are listening to Faux Real a podcast where I interview filmmakers and I'm the host Don Borchardt. And today I have a special episode where I am going to share a Q&A that I did for the virtual Freeland Film Festival a few months ago. And today I have Christopher Smith, who is the director of Currency, as well as his main subject in his film, journalist Matt Blomberg. I'm excited about this episode because I'm excited to talk a little bit more about the Freeland Film Festival, which is a huge important part of my life. I produce that festival and it's important because it's something that I think is a really positive force in my life and in the Wisconsin community and globally. So the Freeland Film Festival is a fest that we put together to help combat wildlife and human trafficking and we also talk about environmental issues and a lot of indigenous land rights issues and really just sharing stories that inspire. And Currency was a really amazing film that I programmed in the festival this year about overfishing and illegal um, fishing off of the coast of Cambodia. So in the film, Matt Blomberg is a journalist who is kind of tracking down this guy named Paul Ferber, who is an environmentalist and activist um, fighting against illegal fishermen. The film is just really incredible, and it just came out online streaming, so you can go check it out. I'll put a link to watch the film in the description of this. So please enjoy this conversation that I had with Christopher Smith and Matt Blomberg. Matt, this film really follows what you are doing, and in the film you say you're covering corruption, investigation, and scandal, but I know that you started out with quite a different career. Can you talk about um, what made you transition and what that process was like for you? I actually got a job as a sports reporter in China uh, working for Xinhua, the state news agency, which at the time I had no idea what Xinhua was. I hadn't left Australia before and earned a load of money, went on a trip around the world and then kind of discovered that around the world was really cool and uh, went home, grabbed my sister and my dad and said, hey, come and check out around the world. And we made it as far as Cambodia. And uh, my sister and I, dad had gone home and my sister and I had decided that Cambodia was too, too cool and we didn't want to leave. So I walked down to the local newspaper and said, any jobs going? They kind of said, yeah, come back in three months. We, we might have a hole for you, but there's no, we're not going to pay you to re- report on sport here. So I kind of got sucked straight into the reporting on other things. Certainly there's no budget in a newspaper here to pay someone a decent salary to write about sport. So yeah, I got sucked right in really quickly and kind of, at the same time as falling in love with, you know, being a nosy little bugger investigating stuff, I was also falling in love with Cambodia. And yeah, that's that's eight years ago. That's awesome. I like, I like that you're just like, the rest of the world is actually really cool. <laughs> <laughs> we're from, we're, I grew up out in the mountains in Australia, far, far away from anything. And our, our worldview as kids wasn't wasn't very wide, you know, so... Once I kind of got a got a look at it, it was hard to hard to kind of shut my eyes again. And eight years 
stuck here is probably a dent in uh, there's there's a lot more of the cool world that i that i'm yet to see christopher same kind of thing to you like especially with us being a festival focused on stories that inspire it seems like you have focused your work on documentary filmmaking what has your path kind of looked like and um was this something that you always anticipated doing like sharing stories that were with a purpose to change things or how did that evolve no actually uh i had a really weird path as well <laughs> so <laughs> i actually started yeah well i when i first graduated school i was really into like punk rock music so i i played in punk rock bands for years probably like four or five years and that's all i did worked at coffee shops uh, made websites on the side then i during the bush administration i decided to go to film school but i wanted to use it as a way to get out of the country for a while i actually ended up in australia where i went to film school for about nine months or a year and, and I was hitchhiking around New Zealand on my time off and started meeting people all over the world who were complaining about uh, what the U.S. was doing to the rest of the world and how, you know, they kind of felt powerless to do anything about it. And I weirdly found myself in position of sometimes defending the U.S., even though I was probably very just as critical about it as they were when I was like living here and shared a lot of their opinions. But but what it what it made me realize is that not only do it was I privileged to live in the US, but also that it was sort of my responsibility to help make change back there. So I actually dropped out of film school early, moved back to the US and went back to regular college, which I hadn't done yet, and studied political philosophy, nonprofit management. Then I went to grad school for public administration and worked in politics for a little while in Colorado. And when I was finishing my grad school program, I made my first film actually, which uh, it's called Tiny, a story about living small. And it was about people who build and live in tiny houses. And I built a house as part of that. I actually wanted to build the house first and then kind of made a movie on the side. And the movie just kind of like took off and did really well and was pretty popular. So, but what was really unique was that all the people who would write and say how it changed their life and how they were downsizing or cleaning out their garage for the first time in a long time or moving into a tiny house or um, all of these things. And I was like, you know, in the last six years of working in politics and other nonprofits and things, I didn't feel like I had the same kind of impact that I had through making this one film. And so that's when I kind of just went all in and sort of making documentaries and uh, been working on them ever since. So That's awesome. I wanted to talk about in the film, your connection to Paul and potentially how that affected you or your work because they set him up as someone who doesn't speak with journalists, doesn't work with journalists, but yet you were able to form a bond with him. So how did that affect your life or like your ability to tackle all situations? I mean, on, this, on the surface, when you make that initial phone call or send that first email, I'm a, I'm a reporter, a journalist, and that's not something that Paul is into. I mean, you get a pretty good idea from the film that he's a fairly um, out there kind of dude and he's, he, he, he's not really into the society that, that we live in, you know, and, and he, doesn't, he doesn't believe much in media and the way he raises his kids is very uh, unique, you could say. But while on the surface, you know, my label is journalist, I am not, we're pretty similar kind of in the way that we think, Paul and I. So it was just a matter of kind of getting in front of him 
I remember I remember the first time I met him actually it was a bizarre meeting because I'd already been told I'd been hanging around this pier where I know that when they come to the mainland this is where they stop and and there, he used to have a, a small aquarium there and a few of his staff used to kind of hang out live around that aquarium and I used to go down there and talk to them and they were the ones who kind of told me you know you've got no chance of of getting on side with this guy uh and then one day he was he was there he he invited me to come and have a sit down with him he had a I'll never forget you know he's this big half scary gruff looking man and he ordered a tuna sandwich and he sat down and oft asked me did I want half of his tuna sandwich I thought yeah we're, we're making some progress here I didn't eat the sandwich I guess I just you know I, I convinced him that you know I'm more than a journalist or that I'm not I convinced him that he could that he could that he could trust me I guess to tell a story correctly and and part of the reason he would be so skeptical would have a lot to do with you know in Cambodia there are a lot of reporters who kind of drop in and to write stories and it's really easy to drop in and write a sensational story without any nuance or without actually looking at what's behind it uh, and I guess he was afraid of that and when I mean, go, when when he found out that I'd come out to the island with him and I'd actually live the way that they live, which is pretty sparsely, and uh, I'd get in, you know, I'd go out on the the, the the midnight patrols and and actually, I don't know. I guess he had he had to trust me as a person before he'd trust me to to tell his story. It's a, I, I love that scene in the in the movie that Chris put together where it's kind of me saying uh, oh yeah you know it took me a while to win his trust and it has me kind of following him through the bushes and then I think I say yeah and, and then eventually he and, and I'm kind of sitting in a tree and he's got his back to me that's really well put together <laughs> <laughs> I can't take credit that was uh that was our, our other editor Lyman he did an amazing job <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty funny that bit I love that bit is that something that has helped you in other stories that have done you've done now? Because it sounds like you're doing really intense work where you maybe have to deal with other really powerful or secretive people. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'd, maybe I'd learned a bit from dealing with other people. I mean, I'd spent a few years dealing with, you know, authorities here, which... I mean, it's different to Paul. You can't go and share tuna sandwich with the Minister of Interior or whatever. But I mean, certainly, I, I yeah, you could say I learned a bit off Paul, but uh, about how to deal with people. But I think I was already pretty well prepared for it. I mean, I, I've said it before. Like Paul's from the other side of the tracks kind of guy, and and I am as well. Or I know how to play that anyway. So yeah, I, le I I've learned a lot of Paul personally. I mean, he's a he's a really interesting guy and. He's a good advertisement for direct action kind of vigilante justice in as much as like, I mean, all around the world, the people who are supposed to be making the world safe or protecting things, the majority of them aren't doing the job that they're supposed to be doing for a variety of reasons. And then you have a guy like this who's a bit offbeat and uh, certainly not palatable for everyone, but gets a job done. Christopher, how was that for you going in as the filmmaker? And as like a foreigner, just like Paul saying, like it's yeah. hard to like kind of get in. I think that Matt, I got to give Matt credit for laying a lot of the groundwork in terms of Paul was probably more trusting of me because of both the fact that he trusted Matt and it worked out okay. Uh, so because Matt had been working on this for probably what, a year or two before I came out there? Yeah, bits and pieces, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, they'd already kind of had a relationship and he was 
also there was another journalist when I first met him named uh, Charlie Pert, who was doing a little bit of work with them, like volunteering some of her time because they didn't have great communication on the island, like no internet. That's changed a little bit. Now they can get some cell, a little bit of cell phone reception from Vietnam. But so at the time she was like answering their emails and stuff. And so that my first point of contact was this other journalist who, who doesn't uh, write nearly about this stuff nearly as much as, as Matt does. But I think that, you know, he kind of had been opening up more to understanding that if you work with the media and you're kind of like careful about how you do it, it can actually be a benefit to his cause. And in the third part of the movie, there's uh, a thing where there's like a BBC radio segment and all this stuff that really did kind of based a lot on Matt's writing, like Paul's reputation kind of get started getting out there a little bit. And then the AP did a story on him and it just got picked up in places all over the, the country. And, you know, he's had other film crews come and film with him from Europe and places like that. So it's funny because when I started making the film, you know, besides Matt and maybe one or two other people had written about him. But as far as I know, there hadn't been any film crews from outside of Cambodia. And then by the end, it was like, I was like, yeah, his story's been everywhere. Cause uh, <laughs> so, and I, and I credit Matt a lot with uh, opening up that sort of accessibility to what they were doing. And, you know, and Paul, I think used to be a lot more in the sort of vigilante um, working against, I wouldn't say against the government, but like there was a lot of conflict with the government sort of earlier on. But as I was, filming, he, you know, recognized that the only way to really kind of make lasting change was to get their buy-in and to really, you know, they were pursuing this MFMA thing. And that was definitely going to take an act of government to make. Plus, if he was sort of breaking the rules and antagonizing people, they're going to be more inclined not to work with him. And so, you know, all of that was kind of going on at the same time. I think, I think just to add to that too, I think Paul kind of set, set the situation up where he could use me as a little bit of a buffer between himself and Chris if anything went wrong. He actually, when he got approached by Chris, he actually came to me and said, hey, this guy messaged me, what do you think we should do? I kind of, I, I said, yeah, get, get him out here. And then I was having a conversation with Paul some stage in the last few years when either maybe the film was, was stalled for a bit or he hadn't heard from Chris or something wasn't how he wanted it to be or something. And, and Paul actually dropped in a conversation with me. Oh, well, you brought him here. So he'd actually forgotten <laughs> that, that he'd, he'd invited Chris off his own bat and uh, kind of set it up so that maybe he could That's blame funny. me if it all went wrong. <laughs> That's really funny. I actually met Matt for the first time on my first visit to the island to meet Paul. Oh. And so, um, and from my perspective, it was like, oh, Matt's here on holiday because it was uh, Khmer New Year. I just learned recently through doing Q&As that apparently uh, this thing was all <laughs> Yeah, it was a bit of a setup, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think we all, we all win in the end. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to ask is just if there were any stories or anything behind the scenes that didn't make it into the film. I'm assuming there were like at least funny moments or intense moments or scary moments worth sharing. I'd love to yeah. hear Chris's moments. Well, I mean, I could tell the, there's one big sort of, the most exciting scene that we filmed or a part of didn't make it in the movie. Because one of the unfortunate things you have to do as a filmmaker, uh, they say like, kill your darlings or whatever, but we had it in the film and it just wasn't working and it was kind of causing, you know, cause you are telling a story and if you have a thing that doesn't really fit in that story, you know, sometimes you just have to be really selective about what you can and can't include. And so one example of that is we were out on this patrol right after Paul had gotten the speedboat, our MCC, and 
there was there are these types of uh, illegal fishermen that we didn't really touch on too much in the film, but they use basically an old, just a regular air compressor and like a garden hose. And then they basically just put it in their mouth and walk along the bottom of the floor, picking up uh, the ocean floor, built, picking up corals and spear fishing and all these things, which is explicitly outlawed in most places, but definitely in Cambodia. And so we saw one of these Vietnamese airboats, uh, as they call them, and we started chasing them and their engine died. As we were chasing them, they were throwing big diving weights at us and pointing a spear gun at the boat and everything. And they actually hit Paul's dad who was there. They had hit him with a, one of the weights in the leg. I think MCC was a bit worked up and their, their engine had died and we caught up with them and they kind of all started yelling and you know, they don't really speak Viet- Vietnamese and the Vietnamese people don't really speak Khmer. And it just kind of escalated, I guess. And like one of the Vietnamese fishermen got injured or something. And then another guy on the boat pulled out a big knife and he was like swinging it. And I mean, this is, these boats are really small. So this is all like within what, five, five, like two meters of you and me, Matt, something like that. Yeah. Like, it was pretty close. So we had filmed all that and it was super dramatic and it was in the film for a really long time. And then it just wasn't working. There was something about it that kind of changed the dynamic of the film, but, you know, so we, we had to let it go. Wow. That's quite a different experience than writing about sports or tiny house. I mean, that's <laughs> really transitioned quite a bit there. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was some exciting, exciting moments. Matt, was there anything you wanted to add? I'm just trying to think of something. Actually, the, the, I remember when we were, we were in Vietnam filming and I can't remember who told us, but we were sniffing around talking to whoever we could. And someone told us about off the south coast of this island that we we're on was a, another kind of little small archipelago, a few islands. And on there was this apparently there is a good story if anyone's got the time to go and chase it is a small a small island where so th- there's all these fishing boats that that, that stay at sea for, for months on end. And uh, we were told that there's this island where these, these guys who work on these fishing boats, every now and then the fishing boats will dock there. And it's like a, I mean, it, it shouldn't sound glamorous at all because it wouldn't be, but like a pirate party island. And apparently there's drugs and prostitutes there. And the, the guys who are at sea for months and months on end pull up at this island every now and then and go and have a, a good time. And then get back on their boats and go to sea. And when we heard that in Vietnam, I was kind of like, oh, we need to find a way to go there. And we, we didn't go there. <laughs> no, if you're watching, go. we didn't go there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were going there for, because it would have been a good story and, and no right. other reason. But yeah, I mean, we, we might've got distracted by a different story <laughs> if we went there. And no other reason, <laughs> just for the story. We don't like fun, so. Yeah, that's, I mean, that was one of our kind of taglines as we were out there for weeks on end <laughs> trying to get footage. People were all, uh, constantly wanting to hang out with us. We don't like fun, Chris would always say. We don't I, like I got one more good story. Yeah. Matt, actually, uh, we, went, we, we went out with that fisherman in the middle of the night. When we, at the beginning of the movie, when you see all the like Matt on the fishing boat and they're dropping the, the fish on the boat. After we, we came back at like four in the morning or something, we were trying to go back to our guest house. And we our scooter, which we were like riding to in the scooter, got a flat tire. So Matt was like, all right, I'll ride ahead and go. Uh, I forget what you were doing, like trying to get a, a tuk-tuk or something. And, okay, yeah. and so he took off and me and our translator just walked. So we were walking and we had to walk like four miles at four in the morning and all these stray dogs were going after us. But Matt actually had crashed the scooter on the way home. And so the next day we're like trying to find him a hospital and the healthcare system in Cambodia is 
fairly non-existent. <laughs> so anyways, uh, injuries happen, let's put it that way. And actually, I had to go into this clinic kind of situation and I had a bunch of rocks, gravel and stuff in my knee, I think, where I'd come off the scooter. Chris thought it was essential to come in and, and film uh, me getting the rocks kind of picked out of my knees one by one by a semi-trained nurse, I guess. Uh, it was, well, that, never made, that never made the film either. I tried to, I tried to work it in though. It was, uh, I was like, see, look, he's injuries, you know? That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I've always asked these questions. <laughs> yeah. Important one to ask. So I just wanted to end it by giving resources for people to find out more about the project and Matt to um, read your articles and Christopher, if you wanted to direct people film-wise. So the first thing I was going to share was the website for the project in the film. You can learn more and donate at marineconservationcambodia.org. And Matt, where can people go read your stuff? I'm with the Thomson Reuters Foundation full-time now working on human trafficking and, and modern slavery. So, I mean, all my stories are, are there on the, on the, at the news.trust.org. Um, something cool coming up soon. We've just almost finished. Uh, I wrote a script for a short animated film about a Vietnamese guy who does these really dangerous and exciting missions into China to rescue women who have been trafficked and sold into brothels or into forced marriages. And that will, we'll actually release that on anti, I think it's anti-slavery day in the middle of October. It should be, should be really interesting and really cool. We, uh, the, the stories are, are amazing and uh, we got a really, really slick animator to make us you know to bring it bring it to life so that'd be the next thing to to look out for i'd say from me oh awesome christopher yeah so the film has a website it's currencyfilm.com and we're probably a little bit better about updating the facebook page which is i think it's just currency film uh or at currency film or, or just uh you can search for currency the film is going to be released in Either October or November, we're actually settling on a date pretty soon. It's a little tricky with the election going on and everything. But um, so if you enjoyed it, tell your friends it will be out soon. And uh, it's going to be on Amazon, iTunes, Vimeo, and Google Play Store all around the world in 30 different countries. So please spread the word. We appreciate that. Well, thank you guys so much. This was great. Yes, thank you guys for having the film and uh, you know the work that you guys did. I love it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of For Real. This episode was edited by Kim Lowe. The music is Lost and Bound by Talleen Kali. And I want you guys to go check out the Freeland Film Fest and Freeland, which is the parent organization. Freeland is freeland.org or freelandfilmfest.org. And again, Currency is now available to rent online. Go to the description of this episode to check out a link for that. Thank you guys so much for listening.